0: This is Caleb J. Ross, author of Stranger Will and I Didn't Mean to Be Kevin. You are listening to Booked Podcast, and I'm not, because it's terrible. book where two guys tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Livia Sneddon and I'm Rob Olson.
1: Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about the book Cataclysm Baby by Matt Bell. A little bit about the author. Uh, Matt is the author of Cataclysm Baby which we'll be talking about tonight uh, and also How They Were Found which is a collection of fiction and he also has three chat books. Wolf Parts, The Collectors and How the Broken Lead the Blind. His fiction has appeared in Conjunctions Hayden's Fairy Review, Gulf Coast, Willow Springs, Unsaid, and American Short Fiction, and has been selected for inclusion in anthologies such as Best American Mystery Stories 2010 and Best American Fantasy II. His book reviews and critical essays have appeared in the Los Angeles Times, American Book Review, and The Quarterly Conversation. He works as an editor at Zank Books, where he also runs the literary magazine The Collagist. In fall 2011, he began teaching writing at the University
0: of Michigan. Let's not forget to mention he also wrote Manto Dea, which was a standout story in Warmed and Bound, too. Yeah, somehow
1: that didn't find its way into his
0: author bio, I found. Hmm. That's sad. I like that story. But oh, yeah. I'll tell you a little bit about the book. So it's Cataclysm Baby, and here is the uh here's the synopsis. Fiction, beset with environmental disaster, animal-like children, and the failure of traditional roles, the 26 fathers of Cataclysm Baby raise their desperate voices to reveal the strange stations of frustrated parenthood, to proclaim familial thrashings against the fading light of our exhausted planet, its glory grown wild again. As the known world disappears, these beleaguered and all-too-breakable men cling ever tighter to the duties of an unrecoverable past, even as their children rush ahead, evolve away unflinching in the face of apocalypse and unblinking before the complicated gaze of parental love. Matt Bell's cataclysm baby is a powerful chronicle of our last days and of the tentative graces that might fill the hours of our dusk.
1: Yeah, it's a pretty heavy synopsis right there.
0: It's a pretty heavy book, not (laughs) physically heavy because it's very, very short. Um, All of these stories are, I don't know, three, four pages each. Uh, but yeah, the, the brevity with which they're, they're written, though, is, is a whole different story. So before we get into talking about any of the stories, um, for those of you who have not heard a uh, review episode of ours where we talk about um, a compilation or a collection of stories or an anthology, typically what we just do is pick two or three standout stories that we like we talk a little bit about them to give you an idea of the book. Um, there's 26 stories in here, so even what we talk about is just a small, small sampling of what, uh, what you're going to get should you choose to pick up Cataclysm, baby. Mm-hmm.
1: But by virtue of the fact that the stories are so short, uh, there's not going to be a whole lot of talking we're going to be able to do about the stories themselves. So, you know, we'll, we'll highlight what we thought was the best, and then probably talk more about
0: substance and writing style than anything else. Um, so you know, it's funny because it's a so I read the the book in you know the course of whatever, or a day and a half or so. And uh, in some cases, I think I spent more time making notes than I did reading the story. But yeah, it didn't occur to me that every single one of the stories is told from the father's point of view until I read it in the synopsis. <laughs> That's just how observant I can be sometimes. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> sharp as attack tack, that Livia's nothing.
0: Uh, Sorry, a little bit about the structure. So it's 26 stories. Each story, the names... Um, it's a series of three names, and like, for example, the first the first story, and they're in alphabetical order. So story one is L. am sorry, I'm going to really mess up some of these names, Abelrod, Abraham, Absalom. So the second story is uh, Beatrice, Bella, Blaze. So it kind of goes like that. So Rob just referred to a story as the Y story, and I was trying to figure out what he was talking about. Uh, <laughs> it's because it's all the name started with the letter Y. So not a lot of, uh, at least in my opinion, not a lot of stuff going on there in the titles to really kind of give you what the story's about yeah and so that's the that's the
1: theme of it is like you know alphabetically it's a list of three names and the only one there's only one where a name is repeated um and there's a very (laughs) livius will be talking about that one in a little bit but uh that's the only one where i say the title really has an impact on the story and it's almost after you finish reading the story more than anything
0: Agreed. Uh, do you want me to go ahead and kick it off now that you've given me this this nice intro into mess shock, mess shock, mess shock? Let's do it. All right. So I'm not going to try to say that again, but that's the story uh, that I wanted to uh, to talk a little bit about. And uh, quite honestly, it was the easiest story for me to pick. I mean, there's a lot of really standout stories in here. Um, this one, the second I read it, I instantly made a note that this was going to be one of the ones I wanted to talk a little bit about. So can not give you a setup for the rest of these if you did get it from the synopsis? All of these stories take place in a post-apocalyptic earth, basically, Um, although not all of them seem to be following the same apocalypse. So our uh, our, our protagonists in the stories all have to deal with with different situations, but they're almost always related. Well, they're always related to their children, but not necessarily in the same post-apocalyptic event. Does that make any sense, Rob? Absolutely. OK, <laughs> so you're doing well. So in uh, Meshach, 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 which I'm sure, again, I just said wrong, um, there's a, a family who, uh, they live in this very small, sooty room of some sort. And basically, in order for the vent uh, the heat to vent out, there's a, a, a chimney that needs to be cleared uh, occasionally. And uh, what they do is they basically birth um, child after child to do this for them. And so the child either dies from... Uh, soot inhalation horrible accident um or whatever but it's about the it's the sacrifices that they make to keep themselves and some other kind of people they refer to very vaguely but it's sacrifice they make for the betterment of others in this post-apocalyptic future
1: hence the same name repeated
0: They. uh yeah i'm gonna give yeah. that one away a little because that's yeah that's what was so cool about it the the part that really that really strikes you in this story is uh He's having the father is having a conversation with with one of his sons, and he explains to him that, you know, they know he's going to die, and that you know they're going to make another child to replace him, but that no child is is more important than than any of the others. You know that, that they hold them all very dear for the sacrifice they're making, and in order to honor them all, he names all of the sons the same name.
1: Yeah, so they'll love them equally. So that's that's a very indicative of the theme and the feel of the book is like there's some very disturbing imagery and weird things going on, um, but paired up with lots of really deep emotions a lot of the times, whether it's love or regret or, you know, fear or sadness
0: or whatever. Yeah, this is probably, and I, and I like dark fiction. I know we've had this conversation, and it typically can't get too dark for me. This book was really, really on the, on the fence for just way too fucking depressing.
1: Yeah, Livia's got started on this before I did, and there was a lot of... Um, he He's like, I, I really wish you would have read this, you know, when we were talking one night, um, because I'd like to talk about this. And he just, the only thing he would say was how, how disturbing and dep- depressing a lot of it was. So the first story I want to talk about in the book is, uh, Justina, Justine, Justice. Uh, and again, this might be maybe the only other story that's title somehow is thematically, at least, you know, obviously thematically linked to what the story is about. It's essentially about, um, these three uh, daughters who are mutilating their father um, as a punishment for him having an affair and not being able to choose between their mother and and his mistress, basically. So, thinking of the word justice, it's kind of you know in the in the name of the girls a little bit, but yeah. So essentially, the <laughs> this guy will uh, you know go and visit his mistress and then come home and. While he's sleeping or whatever the you know situation is, his daughters will like actually just cut part of his body off. It's it's uh it's kind of creepy.
0: Yeah, you were chuckling there for a second, and I wasn't really sure what you were chuckling about because again, it was just this this incredibly depressing and in, and story about these these girls who are doing you know the right thing in their minds, but with these horrible, terrible results for for their father. I mean, inhuman. Um, for sure know actions as a reaction to something you know it's just in, insane but uh, again a very good story and a very interesting concept
2: mm-hmm.
0: what do you got so for my second story i've got prescott presley preston uh, it's uh it's a really cool story about uh the concept is really cool it's about these three boys um who can all predict the future and uh they do it constantly, repeatedly, even after being beaten and punished, it's all they ever do is predict things that'll happen so there's actually some lines in there where they're like, uh, you know, so-and-so predicted this would happen, then he predicted I'd send him to his room, then he predicted I'd, like, beat him until he stopped talking so, I mean, like, the children are predicting all these things that are going to happen, and at one point, they actually predict uh, their own death, so it's it's about the, the, you know, from the father's point of view, again, obviously, as all of them are um, you know, how him and his mother deal with these uh, future prediction, predictions, specifically the one um, that's that signals the end of the children who can predict the future. I like this one a lot. It was, it was that whole thing about, like, what do you do
1: when you know what's going to happen and, and how much can you control it or how much, you know, do you want to know and things like that. Asking those questions about what is your behavior if you are 100% certain of what the what the future holds is is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, very, very, very well written story. Again, I, I can't say enough about how dark these stories are. So when I say a really cool story and it's kinda like that future prediction. Don't think like, you know, Doctor Who or, or anything like that. Think just really dark and dreary and sad.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, 'cause this this future, especially
1: in this story, I mean like their their premonitions basically never extend anywhere beyond their house. So it's not like they can do anything. You know, to alter the course of of you know history of the world or anything, there's no purpose for this future um, um, prediction and stuff like that. So it's it's yeah, like Olivia said, pretty dark, pretty dark stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. What do you got next?
1: Next one, next one I want to talk about is the wise story. As I mentioned before, uh, we started recording. Uh, it's Yoretsi, Yasmina, Yatima. I probably said all those wrong, but that's how I'm going to say them. Uh, essentially, a woman gives birth. Uh, it, it, it's described in a really partic- peculiar way, but this woman is giving birth, but then there's nothing really physical as a result of it. Uh, so it's kind of like um, she gave birth, but you don't see a baby or anything. And as the story progresses, you know she's claiming that you know she she can hear voices and stuff. And then she dies. And then after the the woman who gave birth dies, the husband is left alone he starts to hear these voices that she was talking about before she died. And they're, they're kind of trying to convince him to do things. The thing I like about the story is, is there's all this loss and sadness and, and the twist at the end of what these voices are telling him to do. It's not really a twist, but the way the voices lead him along the rest of his life is, is really interesting.
0: Yeah. It's, it's, it's great to get into, you know, you mentioned it's the why story. It's, it's a great, realistically the wrap up to the book is the the only story that that follows that is kind of just a apocalyptic description um so in my opinion it's kind of the last story in the book and i thought it was a, it was a great way to, to to seal off this sad sad depressing depressing book yeah <laughs> yeah
1: it, it, that's throughout the whole book it's it's a lot of bleak dreary i mean looks at how these families are functioning or really not functioning or dysfunctioning in a, in a world that's just gone completely out of control in, a, in, you know, 26 different ways, I guess you
0: could say. Um, the final story I'm going to touch on, at least in this portion of the show before we get to the quotes is uh Kella Carita can Contessa, which is the Q story. Um, it's here's what I like about this. It. So it's, it's a very bizarre story. Like once, children reach their you know roughly teenage years whether this girl's 12th or 13th birthday um they, they start to float like like a balloon where, where they you know just kind of start to float up in the air and the which is very sad because I mean, it's about these parents kind of dealing with their them knowing that they're going to lose their child over the next few days but the the fantastic thing that bell did here was he, he did what i honestly think we we would do as a society if that's what happened is he he he, he put into place, um, a ritual that goes along with this, like a family gathering, as you know, this is going to happen. And there's, there's, it's what they do to them is it's called tethering. So what they do is they basically tie these children, like, you know, by one of their feet and kind of extend them out for as long as they can before they have to go ahead and untether them. So there's kind of like two rituals involved in this whole process. And it, follows this family, you know, very briefly over the course of a couple of pages through this tethering and untethering process, which I just thought was, was wonderful. Like the the weirdness about them floating away was just flat out weird, but I just thought it was fantastic how he managed to uh, create a ritual around it, which is exactly what we'd have it's kind of the opposite of like a bar mitzvah. And the thing I like about the story is
1: like Livia said, it's got a very weird premise to it, but that's really incidental. I mean, with through all these stories, with all the weirdness that you, the weirdness and the darkness that you in, encounter, it's not, you know, center stage. It's it's more like, uh it's like the setting, and the thing that really shines through is the emotion, and in, in these stories and and what's going on in the family. So, he does weird stuff, but he does it, you know, just as part of the story. And, and the main thing is, is a very compelling, you know, use of of emotion and stuff.
0: Agreed hey, do you want to bring me back from the verge of suicide by talking about your last story? One
1: thing I will say, I want to say one more thing about your Q story.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That's the saddest chocolate cake I've ever read. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm talking about?
0: Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah,
1: but do you agree? Because, like, the reason that the, the chocolate cake was at the untethering, oh, man. Yeah. I don't know why that really killed me.
0: <laughs> yeah, you know, I didn't think about it until you said it and put it in perspective. But, yeah, it's it's... Yeah, yeah, I'm back on the brink of suicide again. All right. Thanks. All right, I'll
1: I'll pull you back from the edge. Uh, the last story I want to talk about is called is called uh, Virgil Virat Vitalis. Um, <laughs> I, I'm so tempted to just word for word read your description of it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Livius's first the first sentence that Livius uh, wrote in here is: "This may be the single uplifting story in the whole fucking book." And um, it is, it's got a little hope to it. So it's about a father uh, in a world where there's almost no women left. So the apocalypse in this story is essentially most of the females of the world are just have, you know, died or ceased to exist. And so um, there's a lot of men who are looking to either, you know, extend their family line or just, you know, take advantage of an available woman. And, uh, so this guy's got to take his, his daughter, uh, to safety basically through, you know, all these, you know, the men. And so he, he disguises her as a boy and takes her to this location where, you know, it's rumored that there's these women that are kind of like on a ship offshore. So they're safe from the men. Um, really, really good, uh, story and just the dedication and the sacrifice that the father
0: has for his daughter is fantastic. The odd thing about that is it's, um, and, and I might be wrong because there's 26 stories to look at here, but it's it's like one of the only stories where, you know, the child, I'm not to spoil it, but A, isn't lost forever, <laughs> and B, isn't used as some type of bargaining tool, um, regular tool, uh, sacrifice farm equipment yeah i mean it's you know which like i said it's it's the only uplifting story in the whole guy it's the only one that didn't make me want to just break down and cry when i read it
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's simple just your father doing anything he can to save his daughter in a really messed up situation but i it, again the emotion just shines through <clears throat>
0: I noticed and I'd like for us to talk about one more story because you had it, marked. Then I said, I want to talk about it. And somehow neither one of us like you unmarked. That. So can we talk a little bit about Walker Wallace Warren.
1: I thought you were going to talk about that one. What happened there?
0: I took it off and I said, no, 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 I'll find another story. Uh-huh. And I'm looking at it and I'm like, neither one of us talked about All it. Right. And it was well, a
1: great I, story. Why don't you do it then?
0: OK, so one more story we're going to talk about just because we both uh, it was the one joint story we picked together. And somehow neither one of us, we both gave it up for, for the sake of the other one um Walker Wallace Warren is a is a story about a man whose family is dead and he uh decides in order to remember them he's going to begin to carve their images into trees and over the course of many 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 years he uh you know he's obsessed with these carvings and he eventually kind of just forgets about his families and their likenesses and is so into you know carving their their actual image it was just I can't do it justice talking about it on how emotionally strenuous the story it was.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, because you're essentially looking at one man over
1: this long period of time where the only thing that matters to him is remembering remembering his family, which he tries to do and ultimately fails at. It's just so sad. <laughs> you know, I, I do have a quote from that when we get to the quote section too. So, <clears throat> so some general thoughts on the book. Uh, I wouldn't look for any thematic links beyond the fact that they're all um, fathers dealing with their family in a post-apocalyptic situation. Um, that's pretty much the link and and nothing beyond it. Yeah. It's,
0: it's, it's all these stories and I, I can't say this enough. So you know, before we even get to the ratings and stuff, it's like, I almost have to put a disclaimer on this that if you choose to read this, um, it, you won't do well if you're emotionally tied to children and how children are treated i mean this so much of this book falls into um child abuse and, and not child abuse for its own sake but almost child abuse by necessity that if you you know if you have and i'm not an overly emotional person you may have not gathered this from just listening to the show or not but i'm not an overly emotional person but man it's <laughs> really easily easy to get emotionally entangled in these very very short stories and I imagine that or some people would be um, um, feel offended or, or actually really affected by these stories in, in a really negative way. So I, you know, I want to say that, you know, before you decide to pick this up, because we talked about how great the writing is and stuff, you've really got to have a strong stomach when it comes to the treatment of children to be able to get through these stories.
1: You're exactly right. I guess the other thing that would link these stories is that they're just so fantastically written. Matt Bell, is an incredibly talented writer, and the structure of his stories is fantastic. Like I said, he doesn't get bogged down in like the you know the setting of things at all. Um, really powerfully written, and and very emotionally impactful. So, um, the the strength of the book is the fact that he's such a great writer, um, and he he delivers exactly what
0: he's, he wants to, as far as emotion and impact goes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it is is—it is extremely well written, and like I said, for stories to garner that much emotion when they're, you know, if you're reading this in, in a paper version, you know, the equivalent of whatever, three pages or something is is a very spectacular, spectacular feat.
1: Um, I don't want to go on without uh, mentioning the cover. David Keaton, <laughs> so we we did Zombie Bake Off. Last, our last review was Zombie Bake Off, and David was like, Hey, can we talk about the cover? And I realize we never talk about the cover um, at all, and I don't know why we don't do it. But uh, the the cover of Cataclysm, baby, um, as you would expect, is probably a little bit surreal. But um, and I don't really know exactly what's going on, but it's just very colorful and very striking. The image is just very powerful looking, and it and I don't really know what it is, but it's just. Um, it's a very attractive cover, even though it's really weird, I guess, is what I would say about it.
0: Yes, it's definitely eye-catching. Um, it, it's, it's. I don't know. See, I find it kind of disturbing. Now, I don't know if I did before I started reading this book, <laughs> but something about looking at it, and it's kind of like this, I don't know, it's almost like a butterfly kind of outline. I don't know if that's supposed to be some kind of moth or, or, or what it is. I've got it pulled up as big as I can get it on my uh, on my computer screen right now to look at it, but it's just kind of this very weird weird design but yeah definitely one of the most eye-catching covers i've seen in a while yeah
1: if it was a moth that kind of had a skull but everything was exploding yeah
0: kind of it, in a way it is very very interesting it also looks like it might be now never mind it's not symmetrical i thought
1: it was at first too yeah i thought it was like a mirror kind of thing but it's it's nearly symmetrical and actually it looks like the top little bulbous parts might be actually heads that are looking in different directions I don't know, but anyway, very, very visually striking cover. And I actually really like the quote that they put at the bottom of it, the little blurb. Um, Lucy from, uh, who who is the author of the entire predicament, says, Here is the alphabet of the pulsing apocalypse that is fatherhood, a book in love with what words like parents create. Beauty, terror, and awe.
0: Yeah. Yeah,
1: that is pretty goddamn
0: good. Yeah, it's way better than what we said. Um, I do have to. I do have to question. Um, was that? Was that the, who did you say was? Did you say that was Karen Russell? Sorry, I just closed it.
1: Just close it. Uh, it is Lucy Corin.
0: Okay, you got to call out Karen Russell, who is the the first. It's this it says from the back cover. We read the a digital version of it, so I didn't have access. To this maybe it was all the way in the beginning, but it says, "Has crafted a baby name book for the apocalypse, which is perfect, a gorgeous, brilliant. I agree with, and it says often darkly hilarious." I have no idea what this woman's referring to because I'm pretty sure I didn't crack a smile the whole goddamn time I was reading it.
1: No, no, I didn't find anything really funny in here at all. Apologies to Matt Bell if that's what you were going for. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) There you
0: go. Matt Bell's like, man, these guys didn't, didn't giggle at all. It's like my funniest book. So, oh yeah, that was so, I don't know, Karen, which story if, uh, if you happen to be listening and you want to shoot us an email and let us know which story you found darkly hilarious. Um, I was on the verge of slitting my wrists the entire time reading it, so. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Good call on the cover. We really never talk about the cover unless it's a Patterson book. Yeah, and we, I think,
1: it, it actually, most of the time, well, we did when it was uh, The Pale King, because his wife designed it after he killed himself. <clears throat> and again, yeah. Keaton brought it up, actually, now that I think of it. <laughs> well, uh, uh, yeah, Keaton brought it up in his interview. That's when we talked about The Pale King cover.
0: Well, there you go. So apparently, we only talk about when Keaton's on. So also, the only time we discuss choking dogs. So, hundred <laughs> percent less choking dogs in this episode. Oh man, I'm telling you, the ASPCA keeps keeps emailing me, and I just keep ducking them. <laughs> All right, um, you wanna uh,
1: you wanna kick off the quotes?
0: I'd love to. Um, my first quote. And I apologize because I'm going to have to tinker a little bit back and forth to tell you which story it's from. Because, um, like I said, the, the names don't necessarily um, loan themselves to to what it's about. You yeah, know, I'm not even going to tell you the name of the story because <clears throat> I can't find it. It's, um, it's a story about these. Uh, I'm just going to read you the quote. I think it actually will explain itself. And then it comes. And then they come with it. The children I deserve, if never the children I wanted. My three little furies. My three furious daughters.
1: Mm-hmm. I really liked that when I read it.
0: Mm-hmm. I really like that, and I'm getting to it. That's from Justina Justine Justice, which, yes, was spelled right with an S, by the way.
1: Okay, cool. Um, the first quote I have is from the story Rohan Rohit Rojo. Um It's about a family who has uh, kind of a man-child son um, who they they need to basically be like a... Like <laughs> like an ox or some sort of like you know large farm animal to help plow their fields which is continuously yielding less and less food Um, and this is the father just kind of reflecting uh, to himself because even though what grows from the world's womb might be no better than what grew from my wife's what other choice do we
0: have but to try again yeah that's the one quote Rob and I both had uh, had bookmarked Um, just excellent stuff there Mm Mm-hmm. What'd you get next? Um, this one I picked uh, just to kind of give an example of of how well his descriptions are. Everything else I picked was just, you know, gut-wrenchingly sad stuff about children and loss. But um, and, and although this one contains that because every sentence in this whole book does, um, this is kind of more of a, a combination of description um, of post-apocalyptic stuff and just crazy sadness. It's the uh, opening paragraph from Kid Kier Kimball. Another new rain falls, dumped from the complicated sky, its acid-heavy droplets pelting our shoulders as we run from awning to awning, from collapsing home porch to crumbling chapel steps. Along our way, we see every kind of bird upon the ground, all heavy with forgotten flying, and around them, their mud-left eggs, as thin-walled as my wife's uterus, that tender space slung inside her unsteady body.
1: That's like how the whole book is written. Mm -hmm. Just such careful use of words. It's so good. Um I have one more quote. I only had two this time because again, the stories are so short that it's hard to pull something out of it without, you know, without the necessity of spoiling the story. So this quote is from Charles Xavier Zenos. That's Charles with an X by the way. Um And it goes uh it, it's about a, a farmer who has a son who's an artist and he's he can't stand the fact that his son doesn't help around, he's always just doing some sort of creative stuff. And so he decides at one point to exile him from the house, basically. Uh, And this is him confronting his son. I say, I do not know I want to kill you, but I suppose I want a chance. Just to see how this thing might feel that I have daydreamed
0: for so long. Yeah. Sad. (laughs) I mean, just just depressed. Like, I was doing okay before we started this episode, and now I'm just kind of in this goddamn slump because of this book. (laughs) You know what I want to say, though? How did neither of us talk about the
1: story... Where uh, it was the three daughters, the sirens, basically, who would uh, this in the there was like in a world that was f- constantly flooding, and there was these three daughters who could mimic people's voices and stuff, and they would be, they were basically luring people out uh, of their houses to drown. It was just so creepy. Uh, of all the stories, that was probably one of the creepiest ones.
0: It's uh, actually where my next and what's going to wind up being final quote is from. Um, so again this is the father speaking um, all this so someday I might walk again on dry land so I might stand before my three wife wife-voiced daughters so I might tell them that I am not mad anymore that although they have cost me everything I will not punish them that because everything they took from me was all they had themselves they have already been punished enough
1: yeah I think probably one of the creepiest stories but also um, not, I mean obviously there was sadness but like one of the most resolved, I would think, there was more of a resolution with the, with this one than a lot of the others.
0: Um, that's true. Um, before we move on from, yeah, I'm going to read one more. I, I have probably more quotes from this book than I have, <laughs> it, honestly. And and a lot of times, it's like I, I'll stop bookmarking stuff or or as I go through the book, I bookmark less because I know I've already got covered. I know I'm not going to do eight or ten quotes. I think I have fourteen. But as I was just flipping through, I said I wasn't going to do another one. I found another one that I just wanted to use as a, as an example. And this is from the story about the man um, carving uh, his family members' images into trees. Um, Our last child, the one birthed runny as yoke. I do not carve it at all. I haven't the talent to make its nothing form out of wood. Haven't the strength to try.
1: Yeah, I don't think we could end on a more
0: depressing note than that. So we've got children born runny as (laughs) yoke there's a few stories i'm not sure there's uh the very first story i thought might be the same characters in one of the later ones because he talks about his child being born all hairy and furry both on the inside and outside and basically within minutes the child just chokes on its own fur and dies yeah and then the kid keir kimball one
1: makes a mention of someone like a kid born with fur
0: Exactly. So, yeah, I didn't know if that was that could have very well been that same family years later, mm. uh, you know, as they'd work their way through the alphabet from A to, to K, I, I don't. Oh, that's a sad thought. Oh, man, I got to <laughs> tell you, I have never, ever read a more depressing book, nor have I ever gone a span so far in what my in my rating, you know, throughout the course of a book. I mean, this I'll be really honest, I I, I know which way I'm leaning but God damn it if I wasn't at a one and a five at different points of reading this book. <laughs> um, I
1: made this comment offhandedly to, you, uh, in conversation before, but I want to bring it up because, you know, there are people who have listened to a lot of our shows. And for me, as I was reading this, I couldn't help but draw lots of, uh, parallels between, uh, at least the subject matter of this, uh, and a lot of what Caleb Ross writes. Um, Caleb describes himself as writing domestic grotesque fiction. And again, uh, I didn't mean to be Kevin, Stranger Will, um, even Click Clack, which is a story that was in uh, Warmed and Bound, all deal with parenthood and and are, are kind of freaky at different points in it. So um, I drew a lot of parallels between that and this book uh, as far as like the the weird family aspect with all, you know, freaky, grotesque elements as well.
0: I have to agree with you. I didn't so much when you initially said it to me, but um, I thought about it a lot afterwards, and and I think I think that in some ways you're right because I think if Caleb wrote if Caleb wrote a post apocalyptic book, I don't know that the stories would be very much different than what we got from Bell.
1: Yeah, especially after hearing his lipidopterist story. <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, uh, yeah. So they're kind of two peas in the pod, uh, as far as that goes. Uh, the, the familial at least me personally i i find it very unique when when an author chooses to focus on parenthood as as one of the main themes in a the book because i don't read that a lot and um so far when i have it's been in really messed up ways like this
0: well yeah i well, or you get the um you know i have i have issues cuz my dad was an alcoholic that's the other way mm-hmm. you come up with the father stuff a lot not to slight that in a story it's a very real thing that you know that people have to deal with growing up but yeah talk about some weird fucking twisted shit though that you're putting on some people here hey just for a minute and i don't want to get into like a socio-politic discussion or anything about it but what do you think man post-apocalypse i'm sure for some time we'd probably try as as human beings to do our children's rights things and take care of the kids but i mean do you think that if things got desperate enough we'd see matt bell's vision of the post-apocalyptic future
1: i was not prepared for that question at all um well, that's the thing with an apocalypse, a post-apocalyptic situation is like we have we, there's no way that we can really frame it in our mind except for, you know, in these types of stories and stuff. But I'd say that, um, for the most part, all bets are off, you know, like, um, I think that we have the luxury in our society of, of minimizing the effectiveness of children, uh, you know, partially obviously to protect them and to keep them youthful and, you know give them good lives and everything but also just because like you know we do need to sustain a society and then having you know having children stay children until they're you know almost 20 probably helps with like the job market and stuff like that to a degree so Mm -hmm. um i'd say that yeah once our delicate balance of prosperity is busted then it's probably gonna all go to hell
0: I think that's one of the things that kind of scared and depressed me more about this book as i thought about it because i kind of envisioned the you know we keep doing the same things we do in relation to children for a while until it got tough and we ran out of other options and i think that's what really scared the shit out of me when i was reading this book
1: yeah 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 like uh, <laughs> uh yeah society is protecting us from the bad things that we could do to kids <laughs> not you and me but like that itself yeah but i mean itself. you know
0: okay so i don't remember because i'm not a huge fan but I, it was one of the like bad max movies you know like there was a cute kid with like a mohawk or running around you know or whatever you get these these scenes you see in movies and they have like guns and whatever and yeah that's great and all but yeah quite honestly i mean there's kids that need to clean out the chimney because no one else can do it you know or, or just there's that other story where they're uh the big the fat parents of the jungle yeah, and climbing the trees climb vines yeah. and stuff and you know like i said i again it's really hard i know i dropped that question on you and like think about the apocalypse you know it's kind of like a hard way to, <laughs> to frame a question and ask for an answer but you know the more i was reading through this i think that's what really depressed me is i don't know how far removed we are i'd like to think that we are but i don't know how far removed we are from that given desperate enough circumstance Well, and I think you hit the nail on the head, desperate
1: circumstances, because if you think about, and I am no, I am not an expert on on global affairs by any means, but, you know, you see images of, like, you know, of the wars that are going on, uh, particularly in Africa and the Middle East where there's, like, children with guns and stuff that they're in the army that, you know, with the age where, you know, I wasn't really even thinking about boobs yet. These kids are, you know... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> out there risking their lives for a war that maybe they don't even understand so uh, to a degree i mean yeah that is a i mean to a large degree that's a valid concern because like it t- you know it is happening we have child labor and sweatshops we have kids going to war yeah <laughs> again very depressing
0: yeah <laughs> anything else you want to say about this before we wrap it up <laughs>
1: Yeah, I guess okay. Uh, not really, because we're gonna go to our uh, our reviews, our ratings on it, and I'll 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 do my grand defense uh, there. Yeah, you know,
0: why don't you go ahead and kick it off?
1: I have to go. get a tissue. All right, so <laughs> it's it again. Twenty six stories. Um, the theme is family in the apocalypse, essentially. Um, a lot of really sad stuff. Typically, pretty dark a little bit of twisted weirdness to it. But again, uh, the way that he writes is just fantastic. The way that he crafts, um, you know, descriptions of things, like Livius read that one quote, um, the way that he he evokes these emotions uh, in in such a small amount of space is fantastic. I think that he he did exactly what he was trying to do, uh, and, and he did a great job of it. I really liked the book, even though, a lot of the imagery was was difficult to digest. Um, it was still so well-written and surprisingly emotionally charged. So I'm going to
0: give this four stars. All right. Like I said, I literally, literally was all over the place in reading this book. Like, I read the first story. So... Here's the thing. Sometimes we accept what we're going to read. Like from when we read Manto Day in July of last year, Robin, I had said, Hey, we're going to read the next Matt Bell release. Like we liked what this guy did so much that I, he could write like a couple of newspaper articles and we'll go ahead and read it because that's how much we like that story. So, um, yeah, you know, I didn't even notice that there wasn't a comma in between cataclysm and baby when we'd started talking about doing this. So I didn't know if it was supposed to be like, you know, a ca- I had no idea what this was when I opened the book basically. Okay. So, you know, I read the first story and I thought, Oh my God, this is the most depressing story I've ever read. Until so I read the second story and the third story and it just keeps going and going. And at one point, you know, I actually said I I, in my mind, I didn't say it, you know, this way, but I thought this is one star. I don't like this. I don't like the way this makes me feel when I read it, you know, which at that point when I was thinking back upon it, I don't didn't like it as a one star review. But I kept reading and I kept getting more and more depressed or not more and more depressed. I guess it managed to keep me on a wave of the same depression probably pretty much throughout with, you know, some peaks and valleys depending on the story I was reading. It occurred to me it's exactly what Rob said is that um, he did what he set out to do unless it was supposed to be uh what was it darkly hilarious or yeah. whatever so that was if he did that then it's just an absolute failure because I didn't couldn't crack a smile for you know thirty six hours that I was reading this um the stories are very incredibly creative and very 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 memorable as a matter of fact I'm pretty sure I'm scarred by a few of them and won't ever be able to shake them so. The writing is like rock, rock solid. So what do we have? He evoked more emotion than any book has probably ever evoked for me. We have rock, rock solid writing. We have something that's completely original and very memorable. So unfortunately, not unfortunately, but when I look at it from that standpoint versus the I don't like how this made me feel, there's absolutely no flaw in this book. So I'm, I, have, I have no choice, even though I don't want to, to give it five stars. Very well done, sir. It's it's flawless, except for the fact that, like I said, I mean, I can't say this enough. You know, if you, yeah, uh, you know, I'll I'll say this again. And I, you know, if you've ever lost a child, don't read this book. You know, if if you've had issues with with you know with with child abuse in your family or whatever, don't read this book. I mean, this the book just isn't something you can recommend to anybody. I personally would be very very careful in who I recommend it to. If you like stuff that's dark and you want a book to really move you, then. This is the one. This is this is very very seriously written and very very moving.
1: All right, now my 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 wrap up feels a little weak in comparison. Sorry. Uh, so that's it, guys. Cataclysm, <laughs> baby. Hundred and some odd pages of uh, dark, sad family apocalypse.
0: Did you want to <laughs> read? Did you want to read some of those notes I put in for the stories? I'm okay if you do. I don't think anyone will be offended.
1: Um, maybe I'll just. I'm not going to read the descriptions of the stories, but this is kind of a a progression of of Livius' feelings about it. Um, Toward the beginning, we've got unbelievably depressing. Again, oppressively depressing. There's something wrong with this guy. Kind of disturbing. Um, (laughs) And then we've got another warm family story from Matt Bell, author of How Fucking Depressing Can I Be? Um, <laughs> and then it kind of tapers off from there I think he, he stopped making his little comments at the end because I think he just got used to it like you know a little numb to it but um, you could tell that I think Livius was actually making these notes as he read through the book and so like you know these are the first flash kind of feelings that, that are dropping on the page
0: <laughs> uh, that's that's what I said it's like I'd read a story and in most cases I was doing this on my phone. So I was reading on like lunch at work and stuff. So, you know, I would finish a story and I would immediately go to Google Docs and, and type in just, you know, a little sentence or two for us to kind of as a refresher with 26 stories. It's kind of hard to keep track of all of them. But um, I'm going to read this one. I'm not going to say which story it's from just because because it's funny and I actually really mean this. So there's there's one story that I just didn't get. In my notes, you know, it has this brief description. It says, I have no fucking idea what any of the story meant, but I didn't want to cry. So there. That was was one of my notes. That was uh, Um, right before the story. I said that uh, was, uh, I now have enough will to live that I may be able to finish this book. I I like, there's one that just
1: says FML. Uh, Another one says heartbreaking. And then there's this one down here. I slit a wrist while reading this. (laughs) Yeah. So this is from Livius, who uh, in the, I don't even know how long I've known you, six or seven years, I, I may have picked up on one or two emotions, and mostly those are like the happy ones. And um, yeah, this book had him pretty much uh, practically checked into a clinic. <laughs>
0: yeah, so thanks,
1: Matt Bell. Thanks, Matt. We really liked it. <laughs> <laughs> um, <sighs> We've actually got a lot of other stuff to cover before we're done for tonight. Yeah. Why don't you kick it off while I try to regain my sense of you know, good humor. All right, so what, what's going to make us more happy than a voicemail from Jedediah Ayers? So recently we had a bunch of people call in to wish us happy birthday. April 1st was our one-year uh, birthday for the podcast. And so, naturally, two weeks later, <laughs> Jedediah Ayers dropped in with uh, with what I consider a belated... Happy birthday, but he very uh, ambitiously considers it an early happy second birthday. But anyway, uh, here it is. Here's uh, Jedediah's voicemail.
0: Hey, this is Jedediah Ayers calling to say happy two years of booked. That's amazing. Two years. I feel like I'm a little late to say happy first birthday, so I want to be the first to say two years, baby. Two years. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks, Jed Ayers. That was uh, we're really looking forward to our second birthday too. That's only <clears throat> 11 and a half months away. <laughs> <But> thanks for <laughs> leaving. A, thanks for leaving the voicemail. We do really appreciate it. Um, and I, I had this conversation with someone the other day. Hey, if you ever want to leave us a voicemail, um, you can feel free to do so. That number is uh, open and active and will not wake anybody up at three in the morning or whatever. I'm um, give you the number right now. But, yeah, if you just want to drop us, uh, you know, you're always welcome to email us. But if you want to leave us a message, feel free to. The number to do that at is area code 424-242-2069. Um, just know that anything you leave on there uh, could and might be used on our show. So uh, uh, don't spill any life secrets or anything on there because we'll totally cut it up and put it on the show. Yeah, talking
1: to you, James Patterson. Both of you. <laughs> yeah both <laughs> both of you uh yeah thanks jed uh we love that guy glad he uh gave us a call probably in the in like the i think i don't even know if this matters but it came through at like three in the morning so he must have just been like scrolling through all the emails and like oh no i knew there was something i needed to do <laughs> yeah give us a call i'd love to uh put your embarrassing uh sean ferguson-esque uh voicemails up on our
0: episodes yeah, and let's not forget to mention that Jed is hosting another noir at the bar with uh, David James Keaton. Is that uh, it's in another week or so, isn't it? Uh yeah, I believe it's the twenty eighth again. Some very cool stuff. I'm kind of bummed we won't be there. Yeah, I know. I was
1: considering uh, sending a recorder down and just hoping that it, you know, they'd set it up for us. But that mm-hmm. would involve like, you know, coordinating
0: things and making an effort. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, effort is not something we really want to put into this, if you haven't noticed from listening to these episodes. So uh, maybe magically a recording will appear on our doorstep. That would be nice. That
1: would be nice. But I will say we did actually make a bit of an effort over the last couple of days and have like five different news things to talk about.
0: We do. And the first one um, you brought up, so I'm going to let you go with it.
1: Uh, Barnes & Noble recently announced... uh, (laughs) And this is in stark contrast to the uh, the Brandon Teets article from a couple months ago that they were getting rid of the Nook altogether. Um, they're, uh, they an- <laughs> they announce a new Nook. Um, they're adding a glow light feature to the Nook Simple Touch. Uh, it's going to be available May 1st, and it's $40 more expensive than the basic Nook Simple Touch. Um, <laughs> did you read my notes on that
0: because it's really gross? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Uh, so I don't have to get a black light and coat my Kindle in my own fluids anymore <laughs>
1: um, uh, int- not an interesting story at all but I was talking to someone who I work with and she was saying that uh, she was about to go out and buy a Nook she was really excited about it and I said oh they just announced that there's one with the the backlight," and so <sighs> told her the, the information about it and I, I saved her from buying uh, a lightless Nook mere weeks before the the nook simple touch with
0: the glow light feature came out i've got to give credit to the nook people because one of the biggest concerns that people have about readers is that well i I mean i can't just read this laying in bed in the dark and i go no you know you can buy these little attachment lights or you can do this or you can do that so um, it'll be interesting to see how people take to it but really realistically it's the only complaint i've really ever heard about the kindle was that people would like to you know, snuggle up in bed without all the lights on or without a stupid book light hanging off their Kindle to read. So we'll see if this gets the nook, the nook any traction.
1: Yeah, the one hands-on I read for it um, basically said that the light was was surprisingly evenly distributed um, because it's not something that's a backlight. It's actually like above somehow. There's LEDs mm-hmm. that are above, but it's evenly distributed, distributed pretty well and it still has a very e-ink feel to it, so there's not as much of an eye strain concern as I would expect there would be. So that's encouraging, but, yeah, we'll see what comes of it.
0: I immediately had two thoughts when I saw this. Um, A, I pictured the old Timex Indiglo light, or uh, watches. (laughs) Yep. You know, that's what you do, is like you push this little button, it's kind of this greenish glow. And then the other one was, how long is it before Barnes and Noble decides that they need to go just completely off the rails and name one of them the Nookie?
1: <laughs> wow, I never went there.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you remember? Two immediate
1: thoughts. You remember those Timex commercials from like God, it's got to be fifteen or twenty years ago, where like the guy there would be like a dude with his watch outside, and it's like a close up on the wrist, so really you're just seeing the watch, and he like illuminates it, and then like a firefly comes around and like falls in love with the watch. Yes, and then, I like, didn't until you said that, but yes, I yeah. do. And that Strangers in the Night song starts playing and stuff. It's one of my favorite commercials when I was growing up. Don't know why. I just like the idea of a
0: bug falling in love with a
1: wristwatch.
0: Yeah, that is... God damn it. <laughs> the new Nookie. That's all I'm saying.
1: <laughs> and then they'd get, <laughs> they'd get Fred Durst and Limp Bizkit to, uh, to do that did it all for the Nookie song.
0: Oh, God! Barnes and Noble. You don't know what you're missing yeah. out on by not putting us on the payroll, Sean Ferguson's
1: gonna be really angry when uh when he hears this episode, and first of all, we started talking about calling something a nookie and then second of all got getting Limp Biscuit to do the commercials for it, and he wasn't here for it. He's gonna be really disappointed in us. man, he's not here, so. yeah, Sean, you're not here. Where were you?
0: <laughs> all right. Oh, so okay. The next, uh, the next little story we're going to talk about. Um, booked alum Donald Ray Pollock got a, a Guggenheim fellowship this uh, this week, which is very, very cool.
1: Yeah, that's some big money, right? I don't know what the awards are, but um, hopefully yeah. that that yields us some more great Donald Ray Pollock reading.
0: Yeah, I, um, the only thing I could really find on the amount. So, for anybody who doesn't know, basically it's like a grant that, that you get when you're an artist. And the amount of money varies based on basically the application you, you submit, you know, with the project you're working on and stuff. So, um, I believe that what I read was in 2008 or 2009, it was the average was like 42000 So, I'm thinking probably enough for this guy to take a year off and, and uh, hit another home run with a book. Yeah. Donald Ray Pollock fantastic guy first of
1: all uh olivius has read both knock and stiff and the devil all the time i've only had the opportunity so far to read devil all the time um uh, not only is he a great writer but like he is like the nicest dude we met him when we went to the the frank bill uh a book release and you know we're not pushy dudes we we introduce ourselves and everything and he was just so gracious with his time and 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 a really nice guy and yeah so very happy for him i, I think if anybody deserves it he does
0: I couldn't agree more. So just a fantastic guy, and I'm hoping this allows him the time to just, like I said, hit another home run with his next book. That's right. Uh, the next thing I want to talk about, <laughs>
1: so not uh, not 12 hours ago I watched a movie, uh, and and I had to find a way to work it into the episode. So uh, Stephen Graham Jones, who we, we read his book Zombie Bake Off uh, just in the previous episode and talked about it, um, he has an article over at Lit Reactor and it's his reaction to the recently released movie Cabin in the Woods, uh, which is like a horror flick by uh, Joss Whedon and Drew Goddard. Uh, I watched it this afternoon. I thought it was fantastic. And so <laughs> my thinly veiled attempt to, to talk about Cabin in the Woods is to tell you that Stephen Graham Jones has an incredible article over at Cabin in the Woods, or <laughs> over, <laughs> over, <laughs> over at Lit Reactor about Cabin in the Woods, and he's talking about... Um, horror stories in general and the effect of of a cabin in the woods types movie um in, in the in how it affects the genres and has the potential to kind of reboot horror horror movies and stuff like that so uh really good article and that movie was just fantastic
0: did he have like a three-minute summation of all you know horror stories that ever happened in the woods
1: pretty close man like there's this one paragraph where he's like he rattles off like six different titles and it's in a way where you like you get exactly what he's talking about i I mean uh, after so my reaction to cabin in the woods is i love the, the movie and i wanted to you know encourage people to watch it on facebook so i i basically just i shared his article and i said this is everything i want to say about cabin in the woods but by a guy who knows how to say it well i've heard lots of good things about the movie it's freaky and funny and, and just a really original idea. I liked that movie a lot. And then Jones, you know, afterwards, you know, watching the movie and then going over and reading his thing, I'm like, man, this dude, I, I, I'm always impressed by how insightful Jones can be. Like I said on the previous episode on pretty much any topic you throw at him, it's, it's just insane.
0: All right, so I'm gonna introduce this next subject, then probably going to let you talk about. This news came out earlier today, and I was working, so I didn't really have a chance to to look into this quite a bit. But um, apparently, the Pulitzer Prize, uh, the folks at the Pulitzer Prize, have snubbed the, <laughs> the fiction category. So there were three nominees, um, and none of them got a majority vote, so they're just not giving out an award.
1: Hmm. Um. Yeah. So I mean, there were potential. Pulitzer Prize, you know, you know, winners in that category. They had The Pale King by David Foster Wallace, which Livius probably, had he been on that committee, would not have given the award to. Uh, Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson, which I'm not too familiar with, but I know I heard a lot about Swamplandia by Karen Russell, and that was uh, one of the books that showed up quite frequently when we did our year in review and we were talking about like Best of 2011. List Swamplandia was just all over the place. So, um, I, I have to imagine that, you know, had they actually awarded something, that would probably be the one that got
0: it. Um, which, you know, it's okay because now that I think about it, I panned the Pale King. Um, and I think I just panned Karen Russell moments ago you when, did. when I basically called her a liar for saying that there was anything <laughs> funny in Matt Bell's book. So the fake
1: Pulitzer for, uh, Fiction from Livius Goes to Train Dreams by Dennis Johnson.
0: (laughs) Yeah, by default, because I can't side with Karen Russell because she thought that goddamn book was funny and uh, The Pale King was what it was. So, yeah, Dennis Johnson, you'd have had my vote just by default. So close, Dennis. Yeah, the Booked Pulitzer Prize Award for Fiction goes to Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson, didn't he write Jesus' other son or God's other son or something along those lines that everybody was talking about?
1: I don't know. I wanted to say that he was in Miami Vice.
0: That was Don Johnson. Uh. <laughs> yeah, Jesus' Son from uh, 1992, so I guess it's an older collection. But
1: <laughs> So he, <laughs> he wasn't in Miami
0: Vice? No, he wasn't, but in honor, I just pushed up the sleeves on my blazer. How
1: about Nash Bridges?
0: Oh, God. There you go, that shows uh, that shows our quality of class <laughs> is that we just talked shit about every Pulitzer Prize fiction nominee. But but we didn't offend any winners, so there you go. Hey, that's a very that's a that's a clever way to put it.
1: Um yeah, so way to go, Pulitzer. I mean, here's the thing, um when I first heard about it, I caught wind of it on Twitter and like every author that I follow on Twitter was just outraged. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry i'm I'm stuffed up so i can't breathe through my nose and so i'm my breathing is off um every author that i that you know I, I was watching on twitter that i you know i follow on twitter that was talking about the pulitzer was just outraged because there was no pulitzer prize in fiction awarded but once you read there we're going to link to an la times article about it and it basically explains that like the reason like livia said earlier that the prize wasn't awarded was just because none of the nominees received the required majority vote. So it's like, it's not like they intentionally said, screw it. We're not giving it to anybody. They just couldn't agree on which one to give it to.
0: Right. I mean, they obviously have a set of rules in place and, you know, they don't break those rules for, you know, because, you know, it didn't work out to a winner. I'm sure that they may reconsider after the backlash that there might be some by default way to award a winner if nobody can, I don't know. They're going to Rochambeau for that. it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <All> <laughs> I'm right, talking so, about the
1: one where Cartman kicks you in the nuts.
0: Yeah, there you go. So, um, but interestingly, yeah, Pulitzer Prize for someone who's dead. I wonder how often that happens.
1: Yeah, well, probably not a lot because I think it's for a specific year, right? Yeah. So you'd have to have written the book, have it published in that year, and died before the awards.
0: So I have to imagine it's probably pretty rare. (laughs) That's true. So there's a couple of the things we had. Um, Of course, we don't do it with as much pizzazz as this uh, next guy does. So here's uh, Skip Papersley with another installment of Book News.
2: This is Book News. I'm Skip Papersley. This week in books news, Harry Potter author J.K. Rowling recently announced she has a new book coming out. It is an adult comedy called The Casual Vacancy. At a one-hour press conference, she was asked, Will this be about wizards and or magic? She responded, No. The next question was, If it's not about wizards, why should we care? With no response, the press conference ended with 56 minutes of J.K. Rowling staring blankly. After years of study, MIT students have discovered a hidden cipher inside many of William Shakespeare's works. According to the initial findings, the MIT students say that it, could, that it could give detailed accounts of Shakespeare's personal life, his whereabouts, and his clues to his lineage. One student tracked that lineage to discover the descendants of William Shakespeare himself to be none other than R.L. Stein. Finally, the New York Times bestsellers in fiction recap. The Shoemaker's Wife by Adriana Trigiani tap dances in at number five. The Limpopo Academy of Private Detection by Alexander McCall Smith has a stupid name and is number four. Christopher Moore paints his way in at number three with Sakura Blue. James Patterson doesn't feel guilty about guilty wives staying in at number two. Another three-name author, Mary Higgins Clark, tops the chart with Lost Years. That is all. I'm Skip Papersley signing off.
1: Okay, and uh, again, that was our third installment of Booked News with Skip Papersley. Livius, any idea who Skip Papersley is? Because essentially, like, we just get um, like an email with an audio file attached to it. Um, I'm not really sure what.
0: I mean, do you what do you think? Um I just assumed it was a guy named Skip apparently <laughs> Um apparently you don't think so.
1: No, I, I well, yeah. I yeah, it's I assume I, I don't know, I didn't I assumed it was one of our listeners who was uh who came up with something funny and sent it into us, but um yeah. Anyway, if anybody out there has any ideas about who Skip Papersley might be, let us know and maybe we can try and track this dude down. Oh, but anyway, like, we like it. It's, it's funny. It's
0: like Gossip Girl and nobody knows
1: who he is. <laughs> yeah, so Frank Edler, get to work with your, uh, your your detective skills.
0: There you go. I will say this. He did bring up something very interesting that you and I had talked about earlier in the week. J.K. Rowling's new book.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. So J.K. Rowling made a deal with Little Brown. Uh, they're going to be publishing her next book, which is her first novel for adults.
0: Which is pretty cool, if you ask me. It's oh, wait, not an adult. Hey, you novel. didn't say it was an adult novel. It was for adults. Oh, okay. <laughs> Never mind. When I said earlier we can review it, I totally thought it was something else. <laughs> when before we go on with this, I just want to.
1: I just remembered
0: uh, uh, the,
1: one thing I wanted to say about the uh, booked news skit when uh, the whatever number four slot when he was doing the the New York Times bestsellers recap, mm-hmm. and he just one of the books he's just like such and such has a stupid name. Uh, <laughs> this is good stuff. <laughs> Because usually he's pretty clever about how he like works it in, and he's just called that one a stupid name. So anyway, thanks, That's Skip.
0: Uh, so talk a little bit about Rowling's new book. You probably know more about it than I do.
1: Uh, All right, so the book is called The Casual Vacancy. They actually already have a publication date, which is pretty cool. It's coming out September 27th of this year. Uh, Like I said, it's the first novel for, uh, she's written for adults. And there's a bit of a, a bit of a synopsis, so uh, uh, here we go. When Barry Fairweather dies unexpectedly in his early forties, the little town of Pagford is left in shock. Seemingly an English idol idyll with sure. a with a cobbled market square and an ancient abbey, what lies behind the pretty facade is a town at war, rich at war with poor, teenagers at war with their parents, wives at war with their husbands, te- teachers at war with their pupils. Pagford is not what it first seems. And the empty seat left by Barry on the parish council soon becomes the catalyst for a bigger war than the town has yet seen. Who will triumph in the election, fraught with passion, duplicity, and unexpected revelations.
0: All right, so I just want to add this last part because I have a comment about this. blackly comic, which means it could be about the (laughs) post-apocalyptic English town. (laughs) There's going to be at least one sheep baby in this, is what that means. Blackly comic, thought-provoking and constantly surprising. The Casual Vacancy is J.K. Rowling's first novel for adults, which now that I read it, again, makes it sound so much less interesting than it was when I thought it was just an adult novel.
1: But that being said, we're going to
0: review it when it comes out. Well, yeah, because you've read no less than seven of J.K. Rowling's books. Is that correct? Seven out of seven. Seven out of seven. I mean, it's hard. I mean, how many other authors have you read everything they've ever done? That was probably a few, but so yeah, I'm totally in agreement. And and I will say this: I promise, I promise to treat this with an equal amount of prejudice as everybody who's ever not read a Stephanie Meyer book and has judgment to pass. Oh, I
1: felt that that was totally aimed at me. Mm-hmm. That was one hundred percent aimed at me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, here's what I have to say about it um it's it's a huge huge switch from her like i mean i'm vaguely familiar with you know what harry potter's about you can't really be alive and not know but talk about a switch from you know something that's filled with you know adventure and and mystery and excitement to something that i mean i gotta be really honest sounds a little mundane from from the from the synopsis yeah like small town red tape yeah bureaucracy
1: yeah well yeah and and okay uh We've kind of run into a similar situation since we started this podcast in, uh, in our review of Owen Colfer's Plugged. So Owen Colfer was the author of the wildly popular young adult series Artemis Fowl, um, and then he followed that up. I think he, his first real novel for adults, and this is, could be debated because he wrote that uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy book first, but Plugged was really his first really adult-themed book with, you know, violence and killing and fighting and stuff like that, and we weren't that impressed with it, so... Not that it was a bad book, it was a fine book, but, you know, um not nearly as epic as, you know, probably his other books were, so I, I'm approaching this whole J.K. Rowling, you know, novel for adults with with um, some hesitancy
0: because of that. Yeah, yeah I... The, the, okay, well, obviously, other than the huge name she's got going for, her being you know, we, we were talking about this, but quite possibly the most famous female author in the world, um, you know, you kind of don't want to get you know whatever it's called for authors typecast, mm-hmm. you know. But man, talk about just a huge takeoff from where she was! Like, you know, she was writing these young adult books that I know a lot of adults read and really enjoyed, but yeah, I don't even know that those same adults are going to be the audience for this book.
1: Yeah, and here's the thing. She's in a really tough spot because she wrote seven of the most popular books, you know, easily of the century and probably eventually, you know, all time. Um, Young adult books. So where does she go from there? Does she stay with young adults? If she does, she either has a choice of continuing the Harry Potter world, which would be tricky, or she starts something brand new, which would be probably trickier, or she takes a step away from that and goes into a different genre or or style which is also tricky so like she kind of succeeded her way into a
0: corner almost because
1: like where do you go from there
0: yeah me personally i'd count my billions and not do anything but you know that's me so you take the james spader approach absolutely work when you have to that's
1: right god i love james spader
0: (laughs) um So, yeah, no, so we agreed we will be reviewing this in uh, late September, early whatever, October, whenever we get through with it. So, um, so look for that as our next episode. I'm kidding. We'll have another episode. (laughs) It'll probably be, oh, I don't know, roughly six or seven days from now. The booked vacation, summer vacation. Mm -hmm. We're doing one of those, too.
1: Hey, what's up next?
0: Up next, um, we're going to get a little lazy. And by that, I mean I'm going to read two or three books this week. Rob is going to read absolutely nothing. And uh, we're going to have an interlude episode next week.
1: Sweet. I can't remember the last time we didn't talk about a book on the show. Oh, well, I'll have at least two to talk about. Oh, that's right. Okay. <laughs> I'm already more than halfway through my first read for <laughs> uh, um, on our off week. So beyond the interlude, we have got a um I know we've got Quintessence of Dust by Craig Wallwork that we're looking forward to as well. So that will be on the horizon, uh not too far from now.
0: Uh, yeah, really looking forward to Quintessence of Dust, um, another book from Kuboa. And uh not just that, but this guy wrote Revenge of the Zombie Pussy Eaters, and you know, that's one of my favorite episodes we ever had. That was that that story was the catalyst for it. So I'm really looking forward to uh, I'm setting my expectations very, very high you know normally <laughs> I start out kind of in the middle and we've had this conversation. every book starts at like two and a half three stars um wallwork man i'm looking i'm looking uh, for a five star book here
1: I'll Tell you something about craig wallwork um not only are we impressed with what we've read so far, but he is like the coolest guy like we've we've had some interaction with him and everything he's just really nice and um and really i don't know what's the word I'm looking for Olivvius Phil Collinsy, He's very Phil Collinsy. Um He's got a very Phil Collins look and demeanor to him. He's just like this really modest dude. So like we see this talent in him and we appreciate it and everything, but it, he does not exude this like cocky, I'm a good writer, you know, whatever. He's just really modest about his writing and, and you know, just this really, really nice guy. So um, <clears throat> yeah, aside from his writing, I just really like the dude. Got a little man crush on Craig Wallwork. <laughs> that might be going a little far.
0: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I just think he's a really good writer. At any rate, I am looking forward to getting into that. But first, first, I have some other stuff to read. I'm very excited about. So uh, we got anything else, or is that pretty much it for this week? We're going to save the other stuff we've got for the interlude episode. We've got some stuff. We have stuff.
1: All right, that's going to wrap it up for our review of Cataclysm Baby. Uh, for this week, uh,
0: I'm Brad Olson And I'm Livia Sneddon Keep reading
2: Could find my way To